we are in the fourth week, final week, of our series called Stir. And I'm a little sad to say that we are moving on from this series um, because this is the last, last week of what we're doing here. If you've missed any of the weeks leading up to now, I encourage you to go back out on, on the website and listen to those, um, uh, those weeks, especially if you don't listen to anything else, and go back and listen to the first week of this series, because I really there begin to talk about what I think God is doing in this congregation, um, what I see just ahead of us, and where I see he's preparing us for. And really what it comes down to is I believe God is stirring us. I believe he's stirring us as a congregation. I believe that there's a purpose behind it. I believe there's a direction that he's taking us, and I believe he's preparing us for something that's just ahead. And so I talk a little bit about that, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it. We don't have time to go through all of it again. So go back out online and listen to it. If you um, missed any of the other weeks, then we talked about those things in Scripture that even as it says most of the time God's stirring us up, sometimes in Scripture it says that we are supposed to be stirring some things. It also says in Scripture some things we're not supposed to be stirring. Okay, We are not supposed to be stirring up strife. We are not supposed to be stirring up anger. There's a verse that says we are not supposed to be stirring up war. It says uh, for the daughters of Jerusalem who might be in this room right now, that by the gazelles and does in the field you should not be stirring up or awakening love before it so desires. Which I think means that you shouldn't be dating anybody until you're 30 years old. I'm pretty sure that's what it means. I'm just saying, that's in the Bible, don't stir up or awaken love before it so desires. This is what the Bible says, okay? Um, and that's what I'm going to tell my kids, that's for sure. In fact, I think that's what they're teaching back in kids' church tonight, or this morning. <laughs> so uh, we talked about those things. It does say to stir up. Those things, there's three things in the New Testament that it tells us to stir up. Number one, and this was a couple weeks back in Hebrews 10, 24. It says for us that it is our responsibility to look around ourselves and to see those around us and to stir up love and good works in them. Those good works are those things that God has laid out in advance for us to do. So stir up people to love and to be on purpose. To love on purpose is what we said. Hebrews 10, 24. Last week then we went to 2 Timothy. And whereas Hebrews 10.24 is directed at each of us to look around us and be worried about and thinking about and, and motivated towards the people around us, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 says, you worry about you in this. You don't, don't stir this up in other people. Don't worry about the person in front of you or in front of you or behind you or next to you. You focus on you. And you in your own life stir up the gift of God, the gift of the Spirit in your own life. Okay, and so if you want to know more about the gifts of the Spirit or if that's something that you've not done a lot of teaching or, 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 or study on and you want to listen to that, go back and listen to it. Okay, and so that was, I think it's interesting because of these three things that we're supposed to stir up uh, that it talks about in the New Testament, one of them is stir it up in each other. One of them is you focus on this and you stir this up in your own life. And the one today is actually for me to be stirring up in you. Okay, and I think that's a really interesting dynamic, that there's one that we're supposed to 
think about the people around us, one that we're just supposed to focus on ourselves, and one where the person who's, who is the pastor is, 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 at least what I read in it, is that this is something I'm supposed to be stirring up in you. So today's message is really more for me than it is for you, so feel free to check out at this point, because I'll just be preaching to myself. But if you were interested in following along, reach over and grab one of those Bibles this morning. We're going to jump right in because we have a lot of ground to cover, okay? So grab a Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, there are some that are spread out throughout the seats. Uh, Once you have that Bible, feel free to open it up to the book of 2 Peter. If you do not own a Bible, that Bible is our gift for you, and we would just love for you to take that home with you. We want everybody to have scriptures to be able to read from. Um, But once you open up that Bible, or grab that Bible, open it up to 2 Peter. If you have one of the church Bibles, it'll be on 1018, 1018. 18, it's towards the end. And we're in 2 Peter, and we're going to start in chapter 1. Now, let me just say, part of the reason why I want everybody to have Bibles is that we aren't going to be able to read everything. There's too much ground to cover. And so some of it we're going to have to skim, and I'm not going to be able to even skim it all on my own. So even as we're skimming, maybe you could be just kind of reading through some of these things and focusing on other parts of it. What I will say is this, 2 Peter chapter 1 is excellent. If you want to spend this week reading and meditating on a passage of Scripture, read and meditate on 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. In fact, we talked about the discipleship groups and, and um, the fact that right now there's one that's called anger and one that's focused on Romans. They have an entire group that's really focused on this passage of Scripture, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. And they're going to be doing that again at the beginning of the next year, and I encourage you to check that out. Because it's really about here's what God's divine power has given us, and as he has given us this power, then here's what it does for us, and here's how we should live in response. Okay, great passage of scripture, but we aren't going to be able to read that. Feel free to skim it. We're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Here's what it says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in the Bible or in, the body, in this body. What in the world? I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of a reminder. Since I know that the, that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So last week as we were reading from 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6, I mentioned the fact that when that was written, it was near the end of Paul's life. He writes this letter, it's the last letter that we have that, we, that is of Paul that was written to somebody, it was 2 Timothy. He's coming towards the end and he's soon going to lose his life at the command of Nero. Okay, so this is his last words. And in the same way, 2 Peter is Peter's last words. And, and it's actually probably written right around the same time he loses his life at the hands of Nero, just as Paul does most likely, according to tradition. Um, but this is the last words that we have of Peter, and it says that he knows that that is going to be the case. Earlier this year, we did a, a focus as a church, and we called it um, uh, the Freedom Project. And the idea behind the Freedom Project was that 
Uh, if we as a church found freedom in some of those areas that our culture does not have freedom in, primarily our finances, but our time and stewarding of those things that God has given us as gifts, that if we found freedom in those things, what might we be able to accomplish as a church? And so we did this big focus, and we called it the Freedom Project. And as part of that, we did a focus on the Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey. Uh, and a large portion of our congregation went through those classes. And, and right before we could do anything else, just need to check in and say, we'll probably be doing a check-in series at some point. I hope you're still doing well on that. Like, I hope you're still pushing forward, that you are still being disciplined in that. I hope that you're continuing to push on. And if you're not, get it back in gear, because when we do that series and we do a check-in series, I want you to be like, oh yeah, everything's good, everything's going well, we're still pushing forward, okay? So this is like your warning that an upcoming series will be checking in on how we're doing on that. Um, but excellent, and, and it focuses on getting out of debt, and it focuses on biblical patterns for um, our finances. It focuses on savings and what the Bible says about those things, and, and it was great. But there's also another class we did, and that was called the Legacy Journey. Um, I did both classes because I wanted to experience them both, and they were both good for me in spite of the fact that I had done one of them before. The Financial Peace University, I'd done it before. It was good to have it again. And then we went into and did the legacy journey as well. Legacy journey is different than the Financial Peace University. Ours was excellent. We had Denny Wubinaw who was teaching it. Fantastic. I actually went to Richard Hans. Uh, sometimes he was teaching one as well. And I went over to his. Excellent. Just so good. But the idea behind the legacy journey is different than the idea behind Financial Peace University. That's focused on debt and savings and money and all of those things. Legacy journey is focused on how do we make sure that we are leaving a good legacy for our children, spiritual, financial. How are we making sure that when the time comes, when we die, and we no longer have an opportunity to impact our families, that the impact that we've already made continues on and that it's a good impact? Which is not a fun thing to think about sometimes. It's not fun to think about our own death. So there was some stuff in there that you're just like, oh, I really don't want to... Mm. And the first time I wrote a will was the exact same thing. And maybe you didn't experience this the first time you had to write up a will. But when I wrote up a will for the very first time, there was this resistance to it. Because I'm thinking, the moment I write that will up, I'm a goner. You know what I'm saying? Like, the moment I get it on paper, I'm done for. And so, like, there's just, and, and maybe you're more spiritual than I am. But when I, when I first had to write a will, this was when Claire and Asher were first born. I knew that I had to, but I just didn't want to do it. Because I, if you're thinking about your own mortality. And for me, this is, I guess, more real than, than even maybe I can communicate with the will idea. Because when I was just a kid... My parents started telling me early, early, early on, God has a purpose for your life. Okay, because before I was born, my mother had surgery while she was pregnant with me. She didn't know she was pregnant with me. The doctors didn't know she was pregnant with me. I didn't know she was pregnant with me. Like, we were all kind of in the dark, me in particular, like literally as well. Anyways, okay. So... So she has the surgery, and they don't find out until much later that she was actually pregnant with me the entire time. 
And yet God's hand was on me and protected me and kept me safe. And so at a very young age, my parents started telling me God must have a purpose for your life, something that he wants you to accomplish. Now, to be clear that I, was not a, I wasn't saved. I had not accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But that little thought of God having a purpose and a reason for my life began to worm its way into my brain and down into my heart. And, and that's possible. It's possible to have like a little glimpse of theology, a little thing that I kind of rely on or you rely on without actually having bowed your knee before the throne of God. Right? It is possible without saying, oh, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, and I believe that God raised him from the dead, without receiving salvation to kind of have a little piece of theology that I base my life around. It's possible. I wasn't saved, but I knew God had a plan for my life. And all of these things kept building and building until it kind of reached a culmination when I was 16 years old. I was 16 years old, and I was at the DMV. And I had just completed on the first go-round, praise the Lord, my driver's test. I'd passed. And I am like on top of the world. I'm thinking, man, nothing can hold me back. That test on parallel parking got nothing on me. And I'm picturing myself on top of Mount Everest in my 1989 Ford Tempo rolling down the window and saying, what's up, ladies? <laughs> and I've got this picture in my mind, of, and the Ford Tempo like, had trouble getting up a steep hill, but none of that mattered. Like, I was on top of the world, and it all came crashing down when I walked to the counter, and the person behind the counter asked me, do you want to be an organ donor? <laughs> and my brain went into gridlock because what if? God's plan for my life is to be an organ donor. If that's the case, I'm not making it home. And so like the first thought that went in my mind, I just said, I'm, what, you mean like right now? Like, and so I said, no. No, I don't want that sticker on my driver's license. Thank you very much. And I'll just be transparent. To this day, I am still not an organ donor. And if that is a deal breaker for you, I am so sorry. But certain things kind of worm their way down in my heart. And it's tough to kind of get them back out. What if God's plan for my life is to be an organ donor? That would be a super bummer. I'd be done for, right? Like... And so, like, there's this point at which we don't want to think about our own mortality and what comes next and what's after it and all of those things. And then we took this legacy journey. And more than just writing out our will, part of the idea is what kind of legacy are you leaving when you're gone? And so I started thinking, what would, what would my kids be going through then? And so part of it was to write letters to your kids and to your wife. How am I going to help them through that difficult time? I mean, I, I think it would be a, I hope it would be a hard time. <laughs> okay. How am I going to help them through that? 
But more than just that, what words could I write that not only helps them through that first difficult time, but what kind of words could I write that year after year, maybe they would come back and read, and it would keep them focused and keep their hearts on the right track and make sure that they're right, move in the right direction. What words could I say, and how do you put that all on a piece of paper? And that's a difficult thing to do. And that's what Peter is doing right here. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, read it. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter is saying, okay, God has revealed to me that I'm not here for long. So what are the words that I can write? What is it that I would say to you right now in this moment that not only will help you in the immediate, but will help you tomorrow as well? And even more than that, essentially, now looking back on it, help believers for millennia to come. What are the last words that I might be able to say to you? And here's what he decides to say. Verse 12. Therefore... I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter says, here's what I'm going to do with this last opportunity to speak into your life. I'm going to say something that you already know. I'm going to give you truth that you're already established in. I'm going to remind you of something that, quite honestly, is not going to be new or novel. I'm just reminding you of something that's already in your brain. And the first time I read this, I was like, what? Why would Peter do that? Why would Peter say, I mean, like, give us something new, Peter. This is your last opportunity. Walk us through what in the world, how do you make sense of the Trinity? There's three, and yet one. Give us that, Peter. Walk us into that, and Explain to us why bad things happen to good people or, or walk us through how eternity works. Walk us through these things, Peter. But he says, no, I'm not going to give you something new. I'm going to remind you of things that you already have in your brain. I'm going to tell you those things again, even though you're already well established in them. And here's why he says he needs to do that. Because I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. He says, here's why. Because I need to stir you a little bit. And I think it's really interesting that both Paul and Peter, with their last opportunity to speak, what do they do? They're stirring. Isn't that interesting? The last opportunity, they want to stir certain things up in the people that they're talking to. And thankfully, we have more idea of what he specifically is trying to stir because he picks this back up. We can kind of skim down and you can see what he's talking about. And and I'm not going to read it all and it won't be up on the screens. And so if you want to read it a little bit more, read it while I'm talking. That's cool. Um, But just skim down. He starts talking about the fact that he saw Jesus himself 
He experienced Jesus for himself. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when God spoke and said, this is my son. He saw those things for himself. Now that generation is passing away and he says, now you're going to have to believe by faith, but I saw it. Now remember that. I saw these things and I'm reminding you of them. And he continues to go all the way down. You can skim all the way down to chapter 3, verse 1. Because he picks back up there and here's what he says. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Okay, that's super important that we figure out what he's talking about here. Specifically, what does he say he's stirring up? A sincere mind. Now, we need to know what that is. Because 17 times I had to read this before I worked out what I think Peter is saying here. And it's important that we know it because, again, this is Peter's last, this is what he's, and for me personally, I need to know what he's talking about because if Peter is saying this, I mean, besides the whole dying bit, I hope, like, I'm in the same place where I've got to speak these things into you. And you do not need new theology. What you need is to have that which you already know stirred up. Okay? So what Peter says, he's stirring up, and this is for me as well. He is stirring up a sincere mind. What in the world is a sincere mind? Well, it's a mind that's true. It's a mind that's honest. It is a mind without deceit. It is a mind that is unhypocritical or dehypocritical or non, however you say the opposite of hypocritical. That's the kind of mind that he's talking about. I'm stirring up a sincere mind in you. See, I think sometimes we like to think that we're real, you know. You say, oh, I'm real. You know, I, I tell it like it is. <laughs> I'm real with people. Like, I don't, I, I'm not biased. I, I'm not, I don't hold back. I tell people what's really going on inside of me. I'm a real person. I'm not fake. I'm real with my friends. Here's the thing, honey. You are not even real with yourself. See, each and every one of us have a tremendous capacity and tendency for self-deception. Now, I'm sure you're probably like the one person that doesn't apply to. I'm sure like you're the exception. But the rest of us, the rest of us have a tremendous capacity and tremendous tendency for self-deception. You want to know how I know? Because we are all just looking for the facts that confirm what we want to believe. All you got to do is watch the news. There was a time when the news was the news, okay? But the news, I, I think there was a time when the news was the news. I, I wasn't in that time, but I think there was a time when the news was the news. I watched old news, and I think maybe there was a time when the news was the news. But now the news is not the news anymore. Either one side or the other, we're all just looking for the news to confirm and to say things in a certain way that confirm the things that we already want to believe, and we have a tremendous ability to overlook those things that do not confirm the truth that we want to believe. 
And so when Peter says, I am stirring up a sincere mind, I am 100% sure that what he is talking about is a mind that is not full of self-deception. Here's why I make that conclusion. Because if you look right underneath this verse, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, he says, speaking of certain people, for they deliberately overlook this fact. Then in verse 8, he says, but do not overlook this one fact. Now, this is not like an accidental missing of a fact. Look at the words. They deliberately overlook this one fact. So the picture is this. This is the best way I have to describe it. You probably could come up with something better, but you're not the pastor. I am. Here's what I've got. Imagine I'm standing here. Right in front of me is this massive gorilla. But I don't like gorillas. I think they're smelly. I think they're noisy. I think gorillas are ugly. So I don't want to see the gorilla. But behind that massive, ugly, smelly, big gorilla is a beautiful little pony. And I love ponies. I think ponies are great. I want a pony. Okay? But here I am standing here, and I don't want to see the gorilla. I want to see the pony behind the gorilla. So what do I do? I'm like looking over the top of it. I'm like, excuse me, could you just move a little bit to the side? And and I'm swinging around this way because I don't want to see what's right in front of my face. I want to look right over the top of it and see what's right behind that. And what Peter is saying is that we have a tendency to deliberately overlook some things. We have a tendency to not focus on the facts that are right in front of our face, but to look for the facts that we want to see and to look around the facts that we don't want to see. So he says to them deliberately, do not deliberately overlook this. Do not overlook this fact, he says. So, 2 Peter 3.1, he says, so here's what I'm going to do. I am going to stir up a sincere mind in you. And I'm going to do it by reminding you of the massive gorilla that's sitting right in front of you that you're pretending isn't there because you want to see the pretty pony behind it. Okay? That's what Peter is saying. And all through the book then, he lays out for us some gorillas. And what I want to do today is I want to walk you through those different gorillas. The thoughts that he says are being deliberately overlooked. Those thoughts that maybe we want to pretend aren't there because we want to see what's going on behind it. Those things that we don't like this truth. But Peter says, I am stirring this up because you need to have this in your brain. And you need to pay attention of it. You cannot miss this fact. Okay? Gorilla number one. God's judgment is real. God's judgment is real. Peter actually says in 2 Peter, he uses the illustration, he says, now listen, this is what they're deliberately overlooking. They are deliberately overlooking Noah's ark. And here's the thing about Noah's ark. Noah's ark is not a cute story. 
about what happened to the unicorns. Noah's Ark is not an origin story for the giraffes or the mosquitoes. Noah's Ark is a story of what happens to humanity when we are left unchecked. That humanity has an incredible predisposition and regular pattern of spiraling into depravity over and over and over again. And we might want to think humans are not that way. We might want to think that, boy, inherently we're good. That is not the pattern that I see in Scripture. And we might think, oh, well, we've evolved beyond that. I mean, you can look in history over and over and over again. Tell me, are humans inherently good? It's not what I see. But we've evolved beyond that now. Now we're all about the oppressed. Now we'll help those who've been oppressed for generations. And Okay, that might look good. Let me tell you what will happen if the believers in this world are removed along with the Holy Spirit. You can skin it however you want, but the result will be a spiral into depravity. Guaranteed. I will put 50 bucks on that today. Okay? No doubt about it. This is what happens in humanity. And the story of Noah's Ark is the fact that when that happens in humanity, there is judgment. But it is also the story of God's incredible grace and love to humanity that he let us continue on and he had a plan for redemption. But here's the thing. We want to overlook God's judgment to see his love. Let's look around it because we don't want to pay attention to God's judgment. We don't want to pay attention to human depravity. We don't want to pay attention to the ugly things. We want to just see the pretty pony behind it. But here's the thing. Without God's judgment, his love is just unicorns and rainbows. If you do not have God's judgment, if you do not have the result of what our sin leads to, then his love is just this like, he likes us a lot. But there is so much more to it because of God's judgment righteous judgment, okay? This is what we deserve. This is honestly, for the sake of creation, what is necessary. And yet, God loves us so much that he sent the ark. Gorilla number one is God's judgment is real. And you can find this all through Second Peter. This is what people are deliberately overlooking, he says. Gorilla number two. Jesus' return is real. Okay? I know it's been a while. Peter and Paul were both convinced that before the end of their lives, they would see the return of Jesus Christ. By the time they write these last letters, they realize that's not going to be the case. But up until then, boy, they really thought Jesus was going to return before they died. You can read it very clearly in the scriptures. And he didn't. And then when Israel was reformed, we were like, okay, here comes Jesus' return. And in 1988, we got 88 reasons why he's coming back this year. And we think, okay, he's going to come, he's going to come, he's going to come. And he doesn't come. It's been 30 years since 1988, and he's still not here. 
But that does not change the fact that Jesus' return is still imminent. He can come back at any time. And we might want to overlook that fact because, okay, come on, that's, seriously, I mean, wait, wait a second, come on. Like he's going to come back today? Well, maybe, maybe. And we don't know when it is. And do you want to know why he hasn't yet? Because he loves us so much that he doesn't want anyone to perish. And so he keeps waiting, not because he's slow in coming, but because he is patient, not wanting any to perish, and giving a chance for all to come to repentance. The deal is he wants everyone on the ark this time. So that's why he's patient. But that does not change the fact that Jesus is coming and his coming is real. And I might not have charts all over the stage. And maybe it's good that we moved on from those times because I'm probably not so good at charts. But I think it would be cool if I had charts about when Jesus is coming back. I don't have charts because that was a while ago that we did. And thank God we got through that. At least most of us did. But his coming is still imminent. And I don't know when it is, but every day I am called to be ready for it. Okay? So that's gorilla number two. Third gorilla. Third truth that we often overlook. And I think this gorilla, probably more so than the others, feeds into the others. I think this is really the big one that over and over and over again we ignore. And that is eternity is real. Eternity is real. You know, more and more we don't talk about what comes after. More and more we talk about the fact that Jesus came in order that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so we focus on the abundant life here and now. And that's good and that's true and it's probably a correction from maybe too much focus the other direction. I don't know. But I think sometimes maybe we've swung a little too far that direction. And we don't focus enough on eternity. And here's why I think that is. I think the reason why that is is because we have never had in the history of mankind the level of wealth, prosperity, health, comfort that we have in this culture right now. I mean, we've got it pretty cush. And even compared to the rest of the world, there are places in the world, by the way, where they do think a bit more about eternity. And I think it's directly, uh, inversely related to, inversely related to how comfortable we are. Because you and I, we've got it pretty cush. Like figuratively and literally. When was the last time you sat on a chair that didn't have a cushion for your behind? Like right now, you're sitting in a really very comfortable pew. And, and, and even as we think about how cush we've got it, I think that's directly a result of the fact that, or the direct cause of the fact that we don't talk about eternity. Because we've got it so good here that why would we even want to put our minds towards eternity so we don't talk about it until we're at a funeral. But eternity is real. And I'm convinced that if you guys were sitting on hard wooden pews right now that were giving you a sliver right in your butt, you'd be a little bit more focused on eternity. 
In fact, I think when I write my doctoral thesis, that's what it's going to be on. I'm going to do a study of churches and the comfort of their seats and how much they talk about eternity. Now, I think that's going to be a very interesting study. Because I think the more comfortable we are, the less we talk about the reality of eternity. But eternity is real. And even as Peter is talking here, what starts this whole conversation, it's, we started reading in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Right before that in verse 11, here's what it says. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The conversation begins with eternity. And so Peter says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stir up some of these things that we aren't focusing on, that we're not talking about, that we're just kind of ignoring or we're looking over them deliberately because we want to focus on something else. And the reason why I'm going to stir this up is because it's important that you come back to this regularly for years to come in order to remember those things that in our minds we are deliberately overlooking. And one of them is eternity. Eternity is a long time. A long time. Saw an illustration one time that I think is a beautiful illustration of the length of eternity. I think it was, I think it was uh, Francis Chan who did it. He used a rope. So I've got a rope over here. I want to grab this rope and use it for an illustration for you. Now, you're going to have to use your imagination for this uh, illustration because here's the thing about illustrations. We cannot, in reality, do all to help us understand what eternity is really like. So you're going to have to use your imagination. You guys got your imaginations on? Okay, here we go. I want you to start by imagining that this rope extends beyond the uppity pallet back there. It doesn't. It's tied to a weight back there, okay? But imagine that it goes beyond just that uppity pallet, that it actually goes out the door and it just keeps on going. Let's say it goes all the way around the world multiple times. Actually, let's say, I mean, it's eternity, so it goes on forever, okay? So if this rope is then eternity, this little end part would be our lives here and now. And I went with orange on the color here because we're going to say that this person's life was a vibrant life. We're going to say it was a full life. And I was going to make it shorter, but I decided to extend it just a little bit to make it a little bit longer because we're going to say this person ate fiber. <laughs> and this person didn't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. And so his life is a little longer than others. And, and it was a full life. Let's say right here was born. I mean, that's... That's pretty good. Went through school and graduated and did all of that. And, and then he got married and, and or she got married and had kids. And so there's kids in here somewhere and worked for a while and eventually retired. And, and then at the end of this is the point at which this person died. Now, that is small compared to that. Right? Our life here on earth is but a breath. 
And that's not to say this wasn't a good life. It was a great life. Right? Good things happened in this life. But if this is the life and this is the point at which they pass away, then here in eternity, assuming Jesus Christ didn't come back during this person's life, somewhere in here, well, immediately, let's say they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, immediately went to paradise to be with God. Praise God for that. Somewhere in there then, maybe Jesus Christ came back and there's a resurrection and there's a judgment and then there's a new heavens and a new earth. And I don't know where it is on the timeline, but it's in there and it's a long, long, long time. But I look at that and I think that's short compared to that. And I know people who would say to you today, you are dumb to be thinking during this about anything besides this. You know what I think? You're dumb for not thinking about all of that. Because there are decisions that are made in this life that affect us all through eternity. And even as we're thinking about the next five years of our lives, I mean, just the next five years, that would be but a sliver on this orange part. What decisions that are, we are making in the next five years will not just affect those five years, will not just affect through the end of the orange, but will affect all of eternity. Because Scripture is really clear, and Peter comes to it after he says all of these things. He eventually gets to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holy and in, ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn what is he saying here saying all the things that we put on those shelves or hang on the walls all the things we're really proud of or we've collected. And all the things we put frames around. and All of the things we've collected and then we have to dust. And all the things that after we dust them, we shine them. All the things we're proud of. All of those things are headed for a bonfire. There are only three things that last into eternity according to Scripture. One is God. The other is God's Word. And the third is you and me. So what decisions can be made in the next five years that will affect things into eternity? Because here's the thing about what Peter is saying. We don't want to think about eternity. And why we wouldn't want to think about eternity is really, it's kind of tough to work through. I think part of it is that we've got a cush. But I think part of it is, if this is true, then some people are going to spend this time apart from the Lord. And that causes anxiety in my heart as I think of people who have not surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. So I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about the fact that there are some people who are dying these days 
who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And so I look around it, or I deliberately overlook it. I don't think about eternity. I don't think about judgment. I don't think about Jesus Christ coming back because I want to see what's behind it. And so I deliberately overlook that thought. And Peter says, no, 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 no. No. Here's what I need to do. I need to stir up a sincere mind. I need you to be honest within your own brain to yourself. Do not deceive yourself. You know this to be true, and you do not need a new theology. You've got it already. But you need to be reminded of it. People are dying and going to hell. And if we don't care because we're overlooking this fact, shame on us. Shame on us. Because that's a long time. And what decisions can we make during this time that affect eternity? And if I had to boil down this hour and a half that I have with you right now, it would be less than a sliver of a sliver on this. And yet the decision we can make in that hour and a half can affect eternity. It can affect eternity. Just a little tiny bit of a tiny bit of a tiny bit. What do we do here that affects all of that? That's what Peter asks us. Would you stand with me today? I hope that just stirred up in your heart. Reminded you of those things that maybe you don't think about every now and then. Maybe those things you don't want to think about, but they're there. And I just say to you, eternity is a long time. And Jesus Christ came in order that that eternity might be with God. He came in order that we might put our faith in him. He died in order that our sins might be forgiven, in order that we might spend eternity with him. And a decision made here today to do two things. To believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, that scriptures are true, and to confess that Jesus is Lord of our lives. That if we do those things, that we can be saved. And sometimes we allow that just little worm of theology to kind of get in and make us think, okay, we're okay with God, but we've never confessed with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. We've never believed in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. We might say, okay, God's got a purpose for me, and, and boy, it's fun to think about, and boy, that kind of has affected my life in a little way, but we've never actually put our faith in him. And that is a false faith. And we need to stop and we need to pay attention to the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one. Inherently, we are depraved. And yet, Jesus Christ came in order that we might have salvation. If we confess with our mouths, believe in our hearts, we will be saved. This morning, if you're in here and you've never done that, maybe you've had just a little taste of what it means 
Maybe you've read the scriptures before, or maybe you kind of think about God every now and then, but you've never done that. Boy, today, do that. Because that little sliver of a sliver of time can affect all of eternity, all that is to come. It's so important that we get that right. Would you pray with me? Father, right now, right now I thank you that you are a God who calls us to sincere minds. And though we may be regularly, inherently, we might have a tendency for self-deception to ignore those things that cause us anxiety or upset our thoughts so we don't think about them. God, right now we make eye contact with those thoughts. We make eye contact with those truths. We look dead on at those facts. Your judgment is real. And we need your grace. Jesus Christ is coming back, and I don't know when it is. It could be today. But he's coming back. And eternity is real, and it's a long time. And it is so important in this life right here to get things right in order that our eternal life might be secure. So God, right now, I pray for anybody who might be in this room right now who have never prayed and said, Jesus Christ, you are Lord of my life. May they right now with audible words speak out, Jesus Christ, you are Lord of my life. And I put my faith in you and I recognize and know the fact that God raised you from the dead. The scriptures are true and Jesus is Lord. May they right now confess that and get that right. And then, Father, I pray for all of our hearts. May we be stirred up. May we stir one another up to love on purpose. May we stir up the gifts of the Spirit in our own hearts. And may we regularly be stirred up in our thoughts to not ignore the thoughts that we don't want to think. To focus on those things that are hard truths but are necessary for us to face in order that we might have a heart and an expectation for eternity. Father, I thank you for this. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. This morning, I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment. And as I do, I want to just encourage you, if you need prayer for anything this morning, that as others are going to be headed out those doors, would you just wait a moment and head down to the front? If you need prayer for anything, they would just love to pray with you this morning. And if you're in here and you for the very first time committed your life to Christ, made him Lord, you declared with your mouth that he was Lord of your life, don't go. Instead, as others are headed out, would you just come down to the front and pray with this prayer team? They just want to pray with you this morning. They want to encourage you and talk to you about the next steps. Before you go, remember how this little time that we have can be capitalized on for eternity. May this image never leave your brain in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you as you go.